Good morning, everyone. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Dan Knust. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. The pastor, Dan, our senior pastor, uh, texted me this morning about 7.35 and said, you're up. <laughs> so as I told the first service, I was just going to let you guys know, I'll close my eyes. If you want to make a run for it real quick, feel free to do that. Just don't let me see you doing it because it'll make me feel bad, okay? Anyway, Pastor Dan's just kind of under the weather is all today. He's just between the vertigo and just kind of just feeling a little bit wobbly this morning as he put it in his text. Um, he asked if I would fill in, and I gladly said yes, obviously. So before we move on this morning to what I, what I believe God laid on my heart, let's pray for our pastor, shall we? And then we'll move on in the service. Father in heaven, you are good, and we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we come to you, Lord, because we know you're good. And sometimes there's just no other answers other than just to come to the throne of grace boldly, as the book of Hebrews teaches us. But this morning, I want to pray for Pastor Dan, Lord. We all love him dearly, and um, just praying that you would touch his body in a divine miracle of healing for him, Lord, of whatever this is that just keeps kind of dragging on and causing <clears throat> the few issues that he has. Nothing major, but definitely irritating and just kind of burdensome and in the way. And I know, as all, most all of us do in this room this morning, that uh, Pastor Dan, um, very driven by preaching your word and being a good pastor at this church. So I know he's frustrated and discouraged and just um, a little bit over this. But I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, as you are here with us this morning, that you would be there with him at the house, that you would encourage his heart, touch his body, help him know that as he's often taught me, Lord, over the years, this is not his church. This church belongs to you. This is Jesus's church. And um, we all know that. And we've been taught that by a very God-fearing man and our pastor. So praying for him this morning for encouragement in his heart, healing in his body, and uh, for your presence here today as we go through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I shared this also this morning. I got up and I was, you ever like prayed frantically? That was me this morning. I'm frantically praying. I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do? You know, because I don't know, maybe I'm the only one because it doesn't look like anybody else is nodding their head. So I'm the only one that prays with like panic. Prayer and panic go together. But I thought about this this morning. God kind of laid this on my heart. He's like, calm down. I'm not surprised. You ever think about that? How all the stuff that we go through in the world that God's really never surprised by any of it. And if we, if we realize that, we find peace within that, I guess is what I would say. So this morning, what I want to do, I shared on this scripture, oh, several weeks ago in the high school room, but I believe this is a scripture that, one of the most important scriptures in scripture, in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. What I'm going to talk about this morning is the prophet Elijah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. What I want to do this morning is I want to kind of frame this in a little bit. I'm going to talk a lot about the front end of this story, put it into context exactly what's going on here, and then get into the meat of what I want to talk about this morning as well. So Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in scripture. We know he's one like uh, Enoch. Enoch went for a walk and God took him and he never existed again. Elijah was actually, we don't have record of Elijah's death. We have record of Elijah being taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire. So Elijah is a very unique individual. And as I look at the scripture this morning, I guess there's, there's three things that I want to bring out with Elijah, not really in the meat of what I want to talk about, but just he himself. Elijah was a man of faith. Elijah was a man of fire, but Elijah was also a man of fear. And if you look at this story this morning that we're going to go through, I think it's so relevant to what we deal with in today's world. Tanner talked a little bit about that idea of being afraid this morning. But what I want to do is I want to kind of preface this with a little bit of a, a disclaimer. 
I want everybody in this room to know I am not a psychiatrist. I am not a licensed counselor. I'm a pastor who believes, but as a pastor, I'm here to tell you this morning that I believe we live in a fallen world. And I do believe there are times when we are chemically imbalanced and we do need help from medicines and doctors and those kind of things. And it does do us good to go talk to a counselor sometimes when we're running into struggles. So if you're in this room and you're dealing with some of that today, please hear me. I'm not saying you run out of here today and change everything that you've done in the path that you're on with dealing with discouragement and depression and fear. So if you do have medical attention that you need, please talk to your doctor. I don't want to tell you ever that this is the answer. I believe it. It is the answer that we build from in life, but we got to look at that we do live in a fallen world. So this morning as I share this, again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm a pastor who loves God, but, but believes this. If we would take the things that we experience in this world and we take that and we take God's word and we let those two collide together, we will find answers and help that we um, will find very remarkable in our lives. And I think the thing we're going to look at with Elijah this morning is that. So what I want to do is I'm going to take you back to chapter, 1 Kings chapter 17. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story a little bit. So Ahab, there's a couple people I want to look at this morning in this story. One of them is King Ahab. King Ahab in chapter, I think, 17 or 18 of, I think it's in 17 of Kings, talks about how Ahab did more evil than all of the fathers and all the kings of Israel before him. So Ahab is just a dirt bag of a king, okay? Well, what Ahab does is he, he goes off and he marries Jezebel, a Phoenician woman who worships Baal and worships Asherah poles and all these different things that she worships. So if you're young in this room, listen to me. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Here's the reason why. Because if we become unequally yoked, no matter what our age is, <clears throat> we take something that if we're supposed to be believers, which Ahab was supposed to be a Jewish king of Israel, so he would have been considered <laughs> a believer, and then he marries someone outside of the tribe of Israel and brings her in. What she brings with her is all the things she's been doing in her life. So you cannot be unequally yoked in life because if you are, it's going to cause the trouble that Ahab goes through this morning. If you look at why Ahab and this whole story unfolds, it's because he married Jezebel. And you ever notice that nobody's names are daughters? Yeah, just saying. <laughs> so here's the deal. Ahab's a dirtbag. He's a rotten king to the core. God says, I've had it. I've had it with your idolatry. I've had it with you building temples for Baal and for Asherah. I've done with it. So he takes Elijah, the prophet, and he sends him to Ahab. And he says, as the word of the Lord says from the Lord, he points his finger at Ahab. And I love, I love the, the bravery, the courage. It's crazy when you think about Elijah, the courage he had to stand before the king and go, listen, for three years, to, by the word of the, of the Lord, for three years, there's not going to be any rain. King Ahab could have had his head lobbed off. So you see Elijah being very courageous. You ever been courageous as a Christian? Like you just, you finally did the right thing one time. I'm like, yes, I finally did the right thing as a believer and I'm walking with God and ain't it great, right? So there's Elijah, he's courageous. So for three, three and a half years, there's no rain. Here's the other thing that's a side note. Within that, and I cannot remember the full name, but one of the, one of the roles of the false god Baal was to provide rain because it's agriculture area. So God says, you want to pray to Baal for rain? Go ahead. See how it works for you. You keep that up for about three years. No rain. So long story short, shorten this up a little bit. Ahab, after, after Elijah tells Ahab, Elijah, he disappears and he goes off into the wilderness. 
And for three years, you watch this story unfold, how God's taking care of Elijah every step of the way. And Elijah doesn't do anything in life unless God tells him to. Goes to the brook, the ravens feed him. Goes to this woman, she takes care of him. Then it's time for him to go back to Ahab. So three, three and a half years into this, Ahab, God tells Elijah, I want you to go back and confront Ahab, okay? On the way back to confront Ahab, there's another part of this story going on. Ahab and Obadiah come into play here. Obadiah is kind of a, he's a believer and a follower of Yahweh, but he's kind of the king's governor. He works within the king's house, okay? So Ahab tells Obadiah, hey, let's part ways and go see if we can find some grass for our animals because we're going to run into trouble because we're starving to death because there's no moisture. So Obadiah goes along the way and he goes off in the distance and he sees Elijah coming. And he says, Elijah, the prophet, he recognizes who he is. Elijah says, hey, here's the deal. I want you, Obadiah, to go tell King Ahab I want to meet with him. Obadiah's like, no, I don't want to go tell him that because what if you disappear again? If you disappear again, I'm in trouble and the king will lob my head off because I didn't bring you in while I had the chance. Ahab, or Elijah goes, no, you go find Ahab and tell him that I want to meet with him today. Now watch this. This is key toward the end of the story. Obadiah proceeds in the process of all this of telling Elijah, Obadiah tells Elijah that Jezebel has been going out trying to kill the prophets of God. So Obadiah says to, to Elijah, thinking, this has got to be awesome. Imagine standing talking to Elijah, the prophet that he is. It hasn't rained for three years because of this guy. And he says, Elijah, guess what I've done? I've taken a hundred of God's prophets, put 50 in two different caves. I've got 50 in this cave and 50 in that cave. Don't you love the strategy in that? I love Obadiah's thinking because he's got to be thinking if he finds one cave, if Jezebel finds that one and kills those 50 prophets, we still have 50 left. Obadiah told Elijah this, hang on to that. So Elijah knew there were more than him as prophets of God running around at this time. Okay, so Elijah gets to Ahab and he says, okay, now by the word of the Lord, here's the deal. It's going to rain. But first, what we're going to do is I want you, Ahab, to go collect all your prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah and meet me up on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a showdown. Showdown at noon, right? There's, you can hear the Western music in the background, right? <clears throat> so they get up on Mount, they get up on top of Mount Carmel, and to give you the picture, Mount Carmel sits here, and you look off to the west over the Mediterranean Sea. It's got to be a beautiful setting. So there's the Mediterranean Sea. They're up on top of Mount Carmel, and Elijah's going to make this battle fair. So he tells basically all these prophets. All the people of Israel that are standing there watching this as well, all the Jewish believers, if you will, he's got them up there and he says, okay, here's the deal. You guys pick the altar, you pick your bowl, I'll let you go first. So they got to pick the best bowl out of the bunch to make a sacrifice to their god, Baal. So they make the sacrifice laid on, laid on the altar and they get everything done, right? And then for hours, the whole goal here is whichever god consumes the sacrifice is God. If Baal's God, he'll consume his sacrifice. If God's God, he'll consume his sacrifice. So you get, I just see the, the picture. You can, Elijah just sitting here kind of twiddling his thumbs a little bit, watching this whole thing. While we're in the distance here, you got a gob of people jumping around, dancing around, having a fit, just making fools of themselves, cutting themselves to make themselves bleed. Why? Because all they were trying to do was arouse their false god, Baal, to act. And to do something. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? They're doing all of this to get Baal, who doesn't even exist. It's a false god. It's a demon god to do something. 
cutting himself. So Elijah starts teasing him a little bit. Was well, he off to the bathroom? Is he out having a nap? Is he, is he on a trip? Where is he? But I want you guys to see that, though. This picture has got to be absolute chaos on top of this mountain. And here's Elijah just waiting. And then it says, and Baal does nothing. All day long, nothing happens. That thing is still sitting there. They've cut themselves. They're bleeding. They're dancing around. They're shouting. They're screaming, trying to arouse Baal to do something. At the time of the sacrifice, it says, Elijah steps in. My turn. So he says, I'll tell you what we do. I'll, get the, I'll repair the altar because it had been torn down. I'll repair the altar. And then I'll tell you what, on top of that, I want you to dig a trench around the altar, and then I'll, I'll get the bowl prepared, and I'll lay it up there on the, on the altar for a sacrifice to God. So they do this. Now think about this. There had been a drought for three or three and a half years, and the enemies, Elijah tells them, he says, hey, I'll tell you what. Why don't you guys get a bunch of water? Four times they do this. They pour water all over his sacrifice. If I go camping, and I'm horrible at starting campfires to begin with, and it's raining outside, it's tough. I'm, I got the lighter fluid out. I'm looking for something to burn, right? So if he soaks down this wood, how, what's the chances of it being consumed and burning up? But here's what struck me in this whole thing with this idea of the water. So there was three and a half years of drought. All the Israelites and all the prophets of Baal, they had to be, imagine, three and a half years. We went through a drought last summer, yes? And it was horrible, wasn't it? You don't waste water when you're doing that, do you? But these guys took water and poured it all over Elijah's offering. Why? I think the, there's a principle here. The enemy will go to whatever extent it takes to prove your God wrong. The enemy will go to an enormous length, stretching out to get you convinced that your God's not real. To me, that's what this stands for, because it's crazy that they would do this. But they're trying everything they can to make sure that Elijah's God doesn't win this battle. So Elijah gets all this done, stops, and he just says, Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he just prays that you would send down fire from heaven and consume this offering. And bam, like that it happened. It, cons it says God is a consuming fire. He consumed the wood, the stone, the water, the sacrifice. He consumed it all. What an amazing story. And then Elijah tells him, before this, he told the Israelites, and I want this to echo in our own hearts. He told them, today, Choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day. Don't we do that every day as believers? We make a choice every morning when we get out of bed that we're going to follow God. I don't care what the circumstances are before us. We're going to follow God. And by noon, how's it work out for you? A lot of times throughout the day, we're just like, man, then something comes up. Some fear comes up. I'm afraid of something. Something's going on. And it just scares me to death. So you got Elijah on Mount Carmel, just had a great victory from God. And what he did then is he told the Jewish people, he says, take the 450 prophets of Baal, take them down to the Kishon Valley, and slaughter them all with a sword. Had 450 of them killed that day. What a victory for God. Do you think the Israelites knew who they were following that day? Better believe they did. They were going to follow the one true living God. He is God. Then Elijah, the story goes on a little bit longer, and he goes up, and he has him and his servant go up on the top of the mountain and start praying for rain. And you guys know the story, the small hand, a cloud the size of a man's hand off in the distance. He comes back and tells Ahab, listen, get down off of here, get back to Jezreel with your, with your chariots, because it's about to rain. And I love this picture. Elijah's got such a mountaintop experience going on, no pun intended. It says he took his cloak, tucked it into his belt, and took off running. Now, if you're a runner, think about this. 
For over 16 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, Elijah, by the Spirit of the Lord, outran that chariot back to Jezreel. Could you imagine being Elijah? You had to be like, what a day, right? This is awesome. I've been by myself for three and a half years, and all of a sudden God's back, and there is nothing but victory. And then everything changes. So you got Elijah, a man of faith, a man of fire. And now we're going to recognize Elijah as a man of fear. What I want to do this morning real quick is I'm going to read the scripture, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's a little bit longer. It's 18 verses, but I want to read this because I think it really captures the point that God's made in my heart that I want to share with you guys this morning. And at the end of it, I'll break it down and give you a couple thoughts, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Now picture this. The next day, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you're dead. And listen, Jezebel had the power to do it. This, is, this fear that Elijah is looking, he's staring down the barrel of, is a very real fear. It's not made up. It's not puffed up. She could have done exactly as she threatened here. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Pause there for just a second with me, if you will. I want you guys to hear this in this room today. That way I don't forget to say it. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And we do not get to make the appointment. You notice in this part of the story that Elijah prayed for God to take his life. Elijah didn't talk about taking his own life. Does that make sense to you guys? You see this story with the, the prophets of Baal cutting themselves and bleeding. I've known countless people. I don't care what age they are. A lot of high school kids, that's who I spend most of my time with. But a lot of adults that self-harm because of the situations that they're in. I want you to hear me this morning. If you go through that, I want this story to land on you powerfully because Elijah never talked about taking his own life. He asked God to take his life. That's how deep in the dundrum this guy was and how discouraged and how depressed he was. Let's move on. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the, broom, under the bush <clears throat> and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel came back to him a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. I don't know if you guys, have, I've, I've heard God echo these, this sentence in my life. What are you doing here? Ever been there? What are you doing? Why are you in this spot? What, what's with the attitude? You know what I mean? Why are you in this situation? He says to Elijah, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put, prop, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountainside in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind 
tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the, in the mouth of the cave. Then the voice of the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go back the way you came and go back to the, de go back to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Heziel as king of Aram, and anoint, also anoint Jehu, son of Nishma, Nimsha, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah. We'll stop there. There's a couple of things that I want to drag out of that story. There's so much in there. If you guys get time today and you're in the mood to read your Bible, read from about 1 Kings till about 1 Kings 17 to about 1 Kings 21. And within that, you'll see an amazing story of how Elijah, just how he worked his way through the different dynamics of life. But what I want to do for the next few minutes is I'm going to give you four, four or five things here that might help you when you're in the situation that Elijah's in. The first thing is that, that strikes me is in verses 1 through 4, you see God allowed Elijah to run. God's going to allow you to make a run for it when you're afraid. When fear strikes you, he's going to make, he's going to give you an opportunity to respond. It's like our pastor told us last week so well is that we don't have the right. Our free will doesn't give us the right to go away from God, but it does give us the power to make choices within our free will. And Elijah, all Elijah did, if you guys catch the rhythm of this, what changed? What dynamic really changed from the mountaintop to back down in Jezreel, the only thing that changed in my mind is when, you ever had a mountaintop experience? Oh my gosh, it's just amazing. Like Peter, James, and John, Lord, this is awesome. I never want to leave here. I want to stay here for the rest of my life. I want to stay on this mountaintop with you. Let's build shelters, stay here. I don't want to go back down into the valley. In the scripture, in the gospels, it talks about Peter, James, and John, and Peter being Peter says, let's build some shelters here, Lord. And Jesus says, no. And as soon as they left that mountaintop experience, where did they go back down into? The valley. And when they got back into the valley, what's the first thing? I think it's in the book of Mark. Mark records the first thing they ran into was evil, the demon-possessed boy. We're going to have mountaintop experiences where we keep our eyes on the Lord, and it's awesome. It's amazing. All we see is God everywhere. It's the most incredible thing. I had this experience and that experience, and I'm like beating my chest as a Christian. This is awesome. The only thing Elijah did is when he got down into Jezreel, and Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow, you're dead. And that fear overwhelmed him. That fear of Jezebel, who had the opportunity and the power to do exactly as she said, just freaked Elijah out. And all Elijah did was take his eyes off of God and put him on his fear. You following me? That is the only dynamic that changed in this story. Because Elijah did nothing for three and a half years but follow God. Mountaintop experience was just amazing. But when he got back down in the valley, he took his eyes off of God and put him on his troubles. Listen, I know everybody in this room is dealing with something at some time within the last month or going to be dealing with something coming up. And when you get yourself where your fear is so overwhelming for you, for whatever that is before you, whether it's a storm, whether it's a health issue, whether it's financial issues, whatever you're afraid of, you got to make sure that you sense, are you being like Elijah? Are you being to where I've taken my eyes off of God? You haven't stopped believing. Elijah was still a great man of God. He was just human. 
And he got afraid. And because he was afraid, he took his focus off of the one who could actually deal with the failure. So we got to make sure we're doing this. Here's the deal. When we're threatened by something in the world, horizontal stuff, there's no need to fear. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? But see, we've got to believe. we really got to genuinely believe when we read our Bibles and we find out who God is. Not just what he does or he doesn't do, but who he is. And if we really believe our God is bigger than anything we'll experience on this side of heaven, it doesn't mean that what we're experiencing isn't real, you guys. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt and it's confusing and it's scary. Those things are very real for us. But we, do we really believe if God's for me, then who can be against me? Because the only one that is against a Christian is who? The devil. I don't have to fear the devil. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath in a high school room. And you remember that story in David and Goliath? You remember it. Goliath came down 40 days, 40 nights, taunted the Israelites. But rather than having them slaughter each other on either side of the hill, Goliath comes down and he says, hey, here's the deal. I'll battle anybody you send my way out of the Israelite army. So if the Israelite army sends a man out, I'll fight him. And when we, if we win, you're our slaves. If you win, we'll be your slaves. So through David, we had the victory, right? God had the victory that day. The Israelites had the victory. Does anybody remember what the Philistines did as soon as David cut Goliath's head off? They made a run for it, didn't they? They did not become Israel's slaves, did they? And the message in there is the enemy will always lie to you. Every single time, he is a liar. It's who he is. And he's going to lie to you when you see a fear like Elijah did. When you see something that's going to be destructive and overwhelming for you, you've got to remember who you serve. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God is bigger than whatever it is that you're challenged with. And I'm not saying that what you're challenged with isn't real because it is. But God can overcome. I talked to someone last week on the phone that I don't even know that called for some help. And I was talking to this person. And I told him, I said, you're going to be okay. As long as you follow God and you stay on that path, you're going to be okay because God's bigger than what you're going through. And we've got to remember those kind of things. Elijah forgot that. Elijah forgot how God had taken care of him for three and a half years. And then he did something that was even more horrible. When Jezebel threatened him, Elijah never made a step again without God's um, direction. You ever done this? Where all of a sudden you're like, you're walking with God and things are going well. And all of a sudden you're like, "Ah!" and you try to save your own skin. And you try to do things your way. And you just forget to call upon God. You forget not to move until God tells you to. Because here's what Elijah did when he went from Jezreel down to Beersheba. He did something that we should never do when we're in this situation. He left his servant in Beersheba and went a day's distance into the journey, a day's journey into the wilderness by himself. He secluded himself. It's a horrible thing to do when you get in this spot, folks. The last thing you need to do, to do is seclude yourself from anyone that wants to help you. Christianity is about me and God being a believer. But Christianity is about brothers and sisters in Christ. Christianity is about this room on a Sunday. That's why Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren because this part of life is important. To come in here and sit over there and look across the room and don't know what somebody else is going through over there makes, gives me an encouragement because I see them here on a Sunday morning. There's a reason we come to church and it's not just to hear from God. That's one yes. It's because we love our church and we love Pastor Dan, but it's because we need to be encouraged. 
And that's what the book of Hebrews says. Encourage one another on. Spur one another on to good deeds. And it'll help you overcome your fear. Because for just a moment, we in here, we take our eyes off of what scares us to death out there and keep our eyes focused on the one that can help us, yes? There's all sorts of different reasons why we come to church, but that's a very big one. Do not, do not seclude yourself. Men, we're horrible at this, aren't we? My wife, I'll be home and she'll, be, she'll know just... Out of the blue, something's coming up, and I'm just, I'm just discouraged. I use the word depressed very carefully because discouragement is not my identity. Depression becomes my identity. Does that make sense to you guys? Especially in today's world with young people. I don't care, really, we shouldn't even say young people, anybody. If I'm tagged or, 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 or given that identity of being depressed, it becomes who I am. And if it becomes who I am then I forget I'm a Christian and I don't have victory over it anymore. Does that make sense to you guys? So you got to watch these kind of things as you go through life. Do not seclude yourself. When Rachel says, Dan, what's wrong? I got to be able to tell her. Even if I can't describe it to her, I've got to be able to just allow her to come alongside me. I go to men's group on Mondays and Fridays because I need encouraged because it's hard. Life stinks on this side of heaven. Being a Christian, we find victory, but it's hard, you guys. And maybe I'm the only one that feels like that. And here's the other thing. Sometimes I think when we're Christians, well, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't be discouraged. I shouldn't be depressed. I'm, I get, I'm a Christian. I get victory, don't I? And then when I feel that way, I don't go to God with how I feel. Because I shouldn't feel this way. I don't want to go talk to my dad. I don't want to go talk to my father in heaven because I shouldn't feel this way. And here's another thing that I believe the enemy really check, checks on this because Elijah, what he did is he lost perspective and became very depressed because of it. He lost perspective on who was giving him the victory for the last three and a half years, who helped him along the way. But I really believe this, and I think this is a critical one. When we, when we think about, for, let me talk about me for a second. When I see someone, I may be going through something, right? And I look across the room and I'm like, I'm not going through anything like that person's going through. So I'm almost kind of ashamed that I feel like I'm going through something. And I think the devil is, that's the perfect playground for the devil. Because he's going to tell you, see, you shouldn't even be feeling that way to begin with. And now that you do, look at you, are just, you're nothing. And, and then shame comes upon me. And what that does is it causes me not to go with God with the smallest of things. Well, I know I'm just going through this, but that's not much. So I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Rather than going, no, what I'm going through is real. And even if it seems small compared to someone else, to me, it's a big deal. To me, it's a very big deal. And the devil, the last thing the devil wants me to do because he wants me discouraged and depressed and afraid is he doesn't want me to go to God to find my victory and get the help that I need. Think about it this way. I'm a dad. If, my, if one of my kids get a sliver and they come to me, do I care? better believe I care. And I want them to come to me. I want them to come to me so I can help dig that sliver of life out of their finger. If my kids come to me and they have a broken arm, do I care? Yes. I want them to come to me because they're wounded and they're hurt and they need help. I want my children to come to me. And if God's a good father and we're his children, does he not want you to come to him with the smallest of detail? Because it's real for you. It's real for me what we go through, and we've got to go to God and sit on the Father's lap and say, Lord, this doesn't seem like a big deal in, in all reality, but to me, man, I'm hurting, and I'm afraid, and I don't know what to do. Do that, because I think the enemy is very good at getting you convinced that it's not that big a deal anyway, it'll pass. Man up. Pull your bootstraps up. You're a big boy. Knock it off. All those are true, but the place I don't need to run from my fear 
I don't need to run from my challenges. I need to run to God with them. That's where we find the victory, isn't it? So it's easy for me to stand up here and say this on a Sunday morning, but it's going to be very hard for me when I'm sitting at home, staring at the wall, going, I don't know what to do. I'm, it's too big for me. I can't take this anymore. And I'm staring at the wall, and I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that light at the end of the tunnel is the Lord. And that light should draw me into him, that I find the help, that I, I find the, the, what I need to get through what it is I'm suffering with. So it's easy here. It's hard in the dark at home. But you've got to remember when you're home at night and the world's laying on you and you don't know what to do, even if in comparison to someone else, it's nothing. To you, it means something. And if it means something to you, it means something to your father. Go to him. And then you won't lose perspective like Elijah did. The second thing is this. God provided for him. I, I love this because Elijah made a run for it. And in verses 5 through 9, we see God providing for him. We see God's mercy extended to Elijah because Elijah's like, I'm on the move. I'm sure he didn't pack lunch before he left. He moves from Jezreel to, to Beersheba. And now he's a mile out or a day's walk out in the wilderness. He's by himself. And God still met him where he was at. God is so good to us, you guys. Have you ever made, have you ever felt like Elijah and you're just like, you've gotten your eyes off the Lord and in a sense we've made a run for it, but yet you still get the sense that God's protection and his provision is there for you? God is so good to us that even when we're brats and we make a run for it as children and we do the wrong thing and we get our eyes off of him, he does not stop loving me. Elijah never stopped believing in God. Elijah never stopped loving God. God never stopped loving Elijah. And that's where you see him reaching out with his angel going, wake up and eat and drink. Get some rest, eat and drink. Get some rest, eat and drink. Get some rest, eat and drink. Do you get the rhythm? If you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're tired, you're afraid, you're probably not as physically worn out as you think you are. You know what you are? You're spiritually worn out. Because if we're spiritually worn out, that impacts our whole being more than just being physically tired. Elijah wasn't physically tired. He was spiritually worn out because he'd taken his eyes off the one that gave him the power and the strength. Make sense? So when you find yourself in that spot, God will meet you where you're at. He will speak to you as you need spoken to, which we'll talk about in a minute, but he'll meet you there. We just got to keep watching for God's provision. His presence, his provision, his protection, his power, those are all real. And you see that right here when the angel woke him up twice and told him, get up and eat and drink. And then the second time he opened that, he woke him up and told him to eat and drink. What did he tell him to do? He said, you need to eat and drink because the journey is too great for you. Our journey to heaven is too great for us. If we don't allow God to provide what we need by going to him to do that, we're not going to make it. Eat and drink spiritually because the journey is too much for you and I to get to heaven, to make it that way. God's grace is more than sufficient. And then God, I love God, asked Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Have you ever asked yourself that? I don't know if that's God talking to me or not, but I'm like, what am I doing here? All of a sudden, I'll be walking throughout my day, and all of a sudden, it's like, bam, I'm having a pretty good day. I'm doing okay. I got up this morning, I prayed, things were pretty good, walked out of the house, and halfway through the day, I'm like, wham, something happened, and it may not even be anything. All of a sudden, I'm just discouraged. Anybody else? I'm just, man, what in the world? How did I even get here? This doesn't make any sense to me. And God will ask me, how, what are you doing here? Why, why the attitude of the heart? Why the depression? Why the discouragement? Why the fear? I'm like, I don't know. Just something happened, I guess. 
I often put it this way. Here's, here's what I like to do, and hopefully this will be a help to you guys. Some of you maybe heard, heard me say this before. There are times in my life when I will just all of a sudden just be ambushed by a fear, ambushed by a discouragement, and I just get down, and I'm like, I, I refer to that as being in the shadows. I'm like, and then I'm like, what in the world? And Rachel will come and try to help me, and of course I reject her kindly because I love her, but I'm like, I'll be okay. Just let me be for a while. I'm right. Get her done. <laughs> like a moron. So I push my wife away, in a sense, if you will, and I isolate myself, which is horribly bad, because I'm discouraged. I remember one time we we were living in a house up north, and I sat down. We had this little stool in the the closet, and I remember just sitting down. I'm like, what happened? I'm just like sitting there. I'm just like, the weight of the world's on my shoulders. And I remember saying this to God, Lord, I need to get out of these shadows. I I can't be here. This isn't bringing you any glory. See, that's what we got to remember, is when I get in the shadows and I get discouraged and I isolate and seclude myself, does that bring God any glory at all? No. So if I want to live a life that brings God glory to God, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, right? So what I do within that then is I ask God, I say, listen, Lord, I need to feel the sun on my, on my face. Spring's coming, right? Yesterday, I don't know about you guys, but I felt this, the warmth of the sun. Rachel opened up the door. I was sitting at the counter and the sun hit me and I'm like, oh, it's refreshing, isn't it? And it feels good, doesn't it? Same thing when we encounter God. I'll ask the Lord, I'll say, Lord, I need to get out of these shadows, and the only way I'm going to do it is by your help, and I I really need to feel the sun on my face, and then I make a conscious choice of taking my eyes off of whatever that might be that's bringing me down. That never changed, and it never went away. All I did is I turned to the one and worshiped God. By seeking him, I find the help that I need, so God provided for him in everything that he did, and God put him back to work. Verses 9 through 17 says, immediately after ministering to Elijah, God puts him back to work. God told him to go back the way he came. I love the way God says this to him. Okay, now get up and go back the way you came. Elijah had to be like, I just came from there. He says, I know, go back the way you came. But here's the deal. When he went back the way he came, what he did is he went back to work. He went back and he anointed Hazael and he anointed Jehu and he anointed Elijah, Elisha, who was actually going to be his successor. So God did this for Elijah in this part of the story. He says, Elijah, get your eyes off yourself. Get up. You're not the only one left. I got 7,000 of them. He reminds Elijah in this. He puts him back to work and reminds him that I got 7,000 people who have not bowed and need to bail. Quit your whining. In a sense, quit your whining. God never got mad at him, it doesn't seem. But God talked very straight to him because God will speak to us as we need spoken to. Each one of us individually, we talked about this Friday morning at men's breakfast. Travis brought this out. And God's voice will speak to each one of us individually as we need spoken to. He speaks to me in the tone of voice that I need individually, as I need spoken to. You know why I know that? God's our father. We're his children. Are you parents? You don't talk to each one of your kids the same way, do you? You speak to them as they need spoken to, some more sternly, some more kindly. But God knows what Elijah needs to hear, and he says, get up, get your eyes off yourself, get back to work, and go do, go serve me. And in that, Elijah finds hope. You know why? You guys, God's still at work isn't he? God's still at work in a fallen world that looks like it's coming apart at the seams. God's still at work, and Elijah needed to know that. And knowing that, it gave him hope that we can leave this room today knowing our God is still at work. He's not sleeping. He's not taking a break. We don't need to cut ourselves. Jesus shed the blood for us. We don't do that for ourselves, do we? Jesus shed the blood for me so that I can go serve him and serve him to his glory by his grace. So you look at this whole story God allowed him to run. God provided everything he needed to do. He put him back to work, and he reminded him, Elijah, knock it off. You're not the only one. And Elijah knew that, didn't he? Because Obadiah said, I've got 100 of them hidden in caves. 
but Elijah lost perspective. And all Elijah did, and this was took his eyes off of God and put him on his fear. Let me give you a couple things to close just real quick. I want to wrap this thing up with four things that I think might help us to remember the rhythm of this if we get in trouble and we get in fear. Number one is you got to ask for help. You got to ask for help in prayer, you guys. You can't do this on your own. You're not supposed to. But you have to ask for help in prayer because we're not mind readers. Pastor Tanner, Pastor Dan, and myself, we love you guys, but we're not mind readers. We need you to ask for help so we can pray for you. And listen, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know this. If I talk to somebody, it's not going to do any good anyway. Men, are you with me? <laughs> if I talk to what's talking do? Talking doesn't do any good. It doesn't help a thing. Yes, it does. It helps a ton, and it took me a long time to realize that as a man. So if you've got that attitude, you ask God to take that attitude away from you because it doesn't bring him glory. It brings God glory for me to go say, listen, I probably, there's probably nothing you can do about this, but I want to tell you, if you can pray for me, I would appreciate that a lot. Maybe we don't have an answer. Maybe a friend doesn't have an answer. Maybe a spouse doesn't either, but talking helps because sharing your heart turns your eyes back to God because you can say, I know the Lord will take care of me. I know he'll help me through this. So ask for prayer because within that, you see God's presence when you do that, his provision, his patience, and his protection again. Tell a friend or a pastor, same idea. We just, we can't read your mind, you guys. You've got to go ask for help. Tell a friend, ask a pastor, whatever that is, and then help someone else. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself and go serve someone else. And a lot of times we get our eyes off ourselves by praying for another person. Because then God's able to meet me in that moment of prayer, help me with my heart, circumstance before me may not change, but God will help my heart to help him live to his glory by his grace. That makes sense? So get your eyes off yourself and go back to serving God. If you're sitting in this room today and you're going, I just don't know what to do and I'm so depressed and I'm down and I'm just discouraged and it seems like my Christian walk is just, blech. I love God still and I believe Jesus died for my sin, but it's like, blech. Walking, I don't want to be a Christian. This is horrible. Start serving. Get your eyes off yourself and get back to work in the church. Get your eyes off yourself and start serving one another at home, and it'll make a difference. And the last thing is this: be thankful, not for the circumstance. Paul says, "Give thanks in all circumstance, not for the circumstance, but knowing this: God's promises in the Bible are real." And I'm so grateful that we serve a God that doesn't promise to fix everything. Can he? Yes. Is he able? Absolutely. But he never promised to. You know what he promised to do? He promised to never leave me or forsake me. He promised to walk with me through whatever what I was going through. He promised to walk with me and be there to go through that fire with me, to be able to go through that storm with me, to help me fight through that fear because I've got my eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. So give thanks in all circumstances and count your blessings. You know Why? Because think about it, when you're counting your blessings, it's pretty hard to stay discouraged. David says it this way in Psalm 42, 11, why am, I, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. See, we can be discouraged. We're going to be discouraged. We're going to be depressed. We're going to be down. We're going to be afraid. As Christians, we're going to experience all this stuff because even as a Christian, I'm still, a, I'm still a human. But it's don't run from your fear. Run to God with whatever that is you're going through, you guys, and it'll make all the difference in the world. Because to close 2 Timothy 1.7, and I'm going to ask Tanner to come up and pray. For God has not given you, God has not given us. Do you hear that? 
God has not given you, God did not deposit in you a spirit that causes you to be afraid. God did not give you a spirit of fear. That's the devil. That spirit of fear comes from him. God gave you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Some translations will say self-discipline, that you can choose him to focus on him rather than your fear. May we be a church that keeps our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. And may we be a church that learns from Elijah that when we're on the mountaintop, keeping our eyes fixed on God is easy, but it's in the valley when we make a choice to believe that God is right there with me. And even if I don't feel him, even if I don't sense him, I'm going to make a choice to believe what he says in scripture, that he will never leave me or forsake me in the darkest moments of my life. He's there. We just got to keep our eyes fixed on the light. Tanner, would you come pray? Would you bow your heads with me and let's spend a moment just in the quiet and I'll pray to close this out. God, our Father, the Lord of the wind and the fire and the gentle whisper, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, our hearts in varying degrees are discouraged probably this morning. Some of us with great discouragement, some of us with smaller ones, but they all seem big when we're in them. And so I pray, Lord, that these words that we've had brought to us from your scripture this morning would be of help to us, be of encouragement to us, and be a way forward for us. We're grateful for this story that you tell through Elijah's life, a man who was a man of power, but also a man who, after that power, found himself in such great discouragement. So, Lord, this is a picture of what it's like to be a Christian back then and today as well, Lord, that we get discouraged. So I pray for our hearts. I pray that you would meet each individual in their discouragement and speak to them as you did for Elijah. Provide for them like you did for Elijah. Speak truth to them when they need it like you did for him as well, Lord. Lord, my prayer for us is that in our discouragement, though it feels like we are that altar that is completely soaked and waterlogged that you could still bring fire into our hearts despite all that discouragement. So I pray for that this morning, that for the hearts in this room that are discouraged, that you would bring the fire of your Holy Spirit and bring us back to life. You are powerful beyond measure, more than we can ever know or see or understand. You are powerful to save us, powerful to heal us, and sometimes all it takes is us asking. So, Lord, I pray that you give courage to our hearts. If we have never asked that, if we've never asked for your help and never asked for your healing, that we would ask for it this morning and watch what happens. We don't need to make a sacrifice, but you did that for us, Lord. It's by your wounds, Jesus, that we are healed. We're grateful this morning for all of this. We worship you because we see how powerful you are, Lord. And we ask as we go that you would speak to us like you did to Elijah and give us the opportunities where we're quieted, our hearts are quieted, our minds are quieted, 
We set things aside for a moment and we listen for that gentle whisper. A little help from you to guide us forward, Lord. Give us that opportunity and give us that courage this week. We pray this with the hope that comes from all that we read in our scripture and that we sing about each Sunday of a life right now that is to the full and a resurrection to come, Lord. This is good news that we hear. We pray you would go with us as we leave this place throughout our week, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. You're dismissed. We will see you soon.